The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Our text for our sermon is our epistle lesson, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Set things in order. Be encouraged. Agree with one another. Be at peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have heard me say many times that if you get into a conversation with the Jehovah's Witness, they will tell you that the word Trinity is never found in Scripture. And I always respond to them, neither is the word gravity. But the concept sure is. And in our first lesson, we truly saw the triune God right there in the first chapter of the Bible. The Son speaks, let there be light. God the Father is the one who planned everything. The Holy Spirit dwells over the waters. Unless we get confused as we get into the creation of man, God doesn't say, let me make man in my image. He says, let us make man in our own image. But then we're told the man was made in his singular image. God is one God in three persons. Not like the Mormons or the Islamists. Those who follow Allah will tell you that you worship three gods. No, you worship one God in three persons. Not three distinct gods one God. And as we went through uh, in the last few weeks of Easter, John chapter 14, we saw Jesus using that preposition in. I am in the Father and the Father's in me. Not I'm with as in accompanying. I am in this one God in three persons, three distinct persons, yet they are inseparable and neither one of them do their work to the exclusion of the other two. So today we see our united God has brought us into unity with him. He did that in your baptism. You were baptized in the name, that's the work of, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you were united to them. So our sermon theme is, we have unity from and within the Trinity. So let's take this text in reverse order. And let's look at the unity we have from the Trinity. I say reverse order because the last verse of this text is the New Testament blessing. Recall in the Old Testament, God had told Moses to tell Aaron to bless the people by saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. And the Christian church has closed almost every one of its worship services with that particular blessing, even in the New Testament era. And that blessing tells you the work of the three members for you. But today we specifically mention the name. So the New Testament blessing that has opened many Christian worship services, including the one we did this morning in our service of word and sacrament, is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That tells you the work of each person in the Trinity working to give you unity. It comes from them, not from us. So let's look at the work that comes from Jesus. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God saw man had been created in his image, but man fell. Man lost his image. Adam and Eve begat children in their image. 
And in fact, the first child killed the second child because he was a sinner as you and I are. You and I are created mean, lean, God-hating machines. We are conceived uh, in slavery to sin, death, and the devil. We could not save ourselves. But God in His grace took on our flesh, but He was without sin. He lived His life for approximately 33 years, never once sinning. Being tempted in all the ways you and I are, yet never once having a sinful thought. And He has credited you with His righteousness. That is the grace from God. But it doesn't end there because you and I are still sinners. We have sin all over us. We cannot have sin if we are to have eternal life. And so he died. He died on the cross for your and my sins. He has washed our sins away in his blood. So you have his righteousness and you have his blood so that you, even though you and I sin every day, have no sin. It washes right off of us. That is grace. That is a gift received at Christ's expense. But Jesus did not save you completely in and of himself. This was God the Father's plan and he had ruled over all history for you. So we say, and the love of God. And the Greek here has the preposition, the God. So it's clear he's talking to the God who is the Father. Obviously, all three members of the Trinity being mentioned here. Now, what is the greatest example of God's love? If only we had a passage that, oh, wait, we do. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God the Father planned your life. He loved you. Now we have to add, you and I are conceived in in the image of Adam and Eve in sin. And so you and I have nothing that's lovable about us in God's eyes. There was nothing that God, like in my life, looked down and said, you know, Fred, you're going to be especially more prone to come to faith than others. Therefore, I love you. He didn't say, you know, Fred, you're going to you're going to struggle with sin better than others. Therefore, no. God should hate Everything because of its sin. But he specifically chose you, not because of anything you did, but because of grace that comes from Jesus Christ. It's circular logic, isn't it? It, But our logic is flawed by sin. And so we can't understand the truth. But God loved you and he planned out your life and he continues to rule in your life, keeping you in his word, keeping you in his grace, keeping you in your salvation. Now, God loved the world. But so many still are damned. How do you come to faith? That is the work of the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, God, our triune God, is united. None of them work to the exclusion of the other. And as we will confess in them in a minute, as Scripture teaches, the Holy Spirit proceeds. He's sent out by the Father and the Son to you. And when he comes to you, this usually with adults, it happens that he comes through the word, the teaching of Jesus's grace and enters their heart with children. God, the father ruled over creation, give them parents who would have them baptized. And he enters their heart and creates that new person. And when he does, he unites you and I, sealing himself in his heart to father, son and Holy Spirit. He engrafts you as a branch to the vine of Jesus Christ and God, the father, who is the father of Jesus, who begot Jesus in all eternity becomes your heavenly daddy. So you now have fellowship with the triune God. This is, shall we say, a vertical 
fellowship. But when that Holy Spirit has entered your heart and given you that fellowship, he has also united you into the body of Christ. What is the invisible church? Because the Holy Spirit lives in the heart of every believer. He has united you with every believer so that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. As the Apostle Paul says in his first epistle to the Corinthians, Christ is the head and you and I make up the individual members that is the body. So we have a unity from and within the Trinity. That unity comes from the Trinity. Each person working to unite you into yourself and unite you and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as the Apostle Paul said when he talks about the different units that make up the body that is Christ and he is the head... Well, you and I may look at that body and say one part is more important and more glorious than the other. But he says, no, not the case at all. He says, you know, the shameful parts of a body, those embarrassing parts, we take extra time to cover those up. They get extra attention. And he says, just because the hand would think that, you know, say, well, I'm not the eye, therefore I no longer need to cease to exist. It cannot separate itself off from the body. And if you think your body does not have a part that's insignificant, say maybe a toenail, go ahead and grab yourself a pair of pliers and rip that toenail off and see how well that feels. I don't really do that, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm being sarcastic. Every part is important. Even the one who may seem the least insignificant, a little baby in church, is important in the body of Christ. It reminds every one of us that we need to nourish and grow each other in the word. So our unity comes within the Trinity. So the Apostle Paul, now going back to the beginning of our text, says, Finally, brothers, farewell. Oh, big deal. Paul says brothers, right? No, there's something important going on. If you ever think your congregation is messed up, read the letters to the Corinthians. I'm not saying they are the biggest, most troublesome church ever in the history of the Christian church, but man, they had a lot of problems. And I want to thank you for the unity we have here that you guys struggle to maintain, because I've never had to read that and say, okay, my church isn't as messed up as the Corinthians. I've never felt that way. But Paul has had to straighten them out a lot. They're arguing and there's a lot of division. Oh, I was baptized by Apollos. I follow Paul. Oh, I follow Jesus. You know, and, and Paul has to straighten out a lot of bad things, including a guy who's having intercourse with his stepmother and bragging about it, saying, look at my Christian freedom. And yet he always calls them brothers. You may be messed up, but the Holy Spirit's still in your heart. We're still united. And even though at times he has to chew them out in these letters, he does it in brotherly love. Now, women, feminism today has gotten, maybe gotten to you, and maybe you're going, but what about me? I'm a sister in Christ. Remember in the Old Testament, The woman was to be provided for by her marriage to a man who would inherit the land. The brothers, the sons inherited the land, and that is supposed to be a picture of heaven. So when the Apostle Paul says brothers and doesn't say and sisters, he is including you women, but he's including your legal status before God. You own land. You will inherit land in heaven. It is yours. So never think this is to your exclusion. Finally, brothers, farewell. And then he says the Greek word is literally be put back in order. In English, when things are messed up, we might a superior may tell the guy below him, hey, get in there and set things straight. Paul has wrote them two letters in which he's trying to set things straight. So he says, let the word of God work. Don't resist it. Be put back in order. Let the Holy Spirit use the words of God that I have given you to set you straight. And then he says the word, maybe best translated as receive counsel. 
But this word, it's a Greek verb, it's the same word Jesus uses as a noun for the name of the Holy Spirit. He calls him the counselor. But the, the noun is literally the one called to the side to help. So he's saying, receive counsel, let help come to your side. Don't resist God's help coming to your side. How does that help come to your side? First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is in your heart. And so he works through the word to give you and I help to straighten out the things you and I have screwed up in our heads and understanding of the word of God. And, you know, one of the ways he does that, he sends a brother or a sister in Christ to show you where you are mistaken. So he says, let God work. Let your brothers and sisters in Christ use the word. Let the word work. Let the Holy Spirit work to continue having that fellowship that comes from the Holy Spirit among each other. Think about it. It's a blessing to be able to tell our brothers and sisters in Christ, not just where they're screwing up, but to tell them that God is still loving them when they have hard times. It's wonderful to be able to come to their side to help to pray with them during difficulties. You have this unity among each other. He's made you brothers and sisters in Christ. Receive the counsel that comes from the Holy Spirit that he gives through, as he did the Apostle Paul, brothers and sisters in Christ. Then he says, have the same way of thinking. Literally have the same mindset. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, God has given us a lot of areas of freedom. So he's not saying in your life that you have to, have to drive the same vehicle I do. That you have to decide that Fords are better than Chevys or Chevys are better than Subarus. No, no, no. We're talking about us in our unity with God. We can have different ways of thinking, can't we? We can create problems saying, but you know what? This is the kind of hymns I want to sing when I worship the Lord. But you know what? I don't like the color of our carpet. Have the same way of thinking. Our Lutheran confessions in the Augsburg Confession says when it comes to unity and fellowship, it's enough to agree on the gospel. So long as you and I hold the cross of Jesus, both Christ on it and Christ off of it before our eyes, we will get it. We will forgive each other when there's differences. And so he says, keep the peace. Now, to understand the peace we're to keep among each other, that horizontal relationship, we have to understand the peace we have in our vertical relationship. God, in our natural state, without the Holy Spirit in our heart, is our enemy. Ask the devil how wonderful it is being an enemy of God. Ask any unbeliever who has died an enemy of God, that's what unbelief is, how that's going for them as they burn eternally in hell. But you have a peace with God. He is not your enemy. It's important to remember, because sometimes like when we're embracing a sin, he'll let us suffer the consequences of that sin, even though he forgives us to empower us to struggle against us. So, yes, he disciplines us. I make a distinction between discipline and punishment. Punishment with God is hell. Discipline is helping us to struggle against our sin. But we can turn around and say, but God's being mean to me. No, you're at peace with God, even in hard times, you can have peace saying, God is using this for my good. And when we're having health and financial problems that are not the direct result of our own sins as a disciplining, we can say, this too will pass. God, my heavenly Father, is working for my good. He's ruling over all creation, that unity within the Trinity for our benefit. So now you and I have peace with each other. That peace means we forgive each other. And one of the greatest ways we have peace with each other is being empowered by the work of the grace of Jesus. Recall, Jesus is true God, yet he came to you as a servant. 
He bore your sins because of his grace. So if you and I, like in a marriage, I always say this from Ephesians chapter 5, the husband is to say to the wife, I'm your servant. Jesus represents the husband in the church. And the wife is to say, I'm your servant. They are both to say, I am your servant to each other. Now, I've done a lot of marriage counseling in the years I was a, I've been a pastor. And what, usually what happens is one of them is not saying, I am your servant. One of them is saying, my way or the highway. And this creates a problem. And this creates problems in the church. When I start saying, my way or the highway, instead of, I am your servant. When we serve each other, for example, we may argue over hymns, but they're not, they don't need to be big arguments because we understand we gotta sing hymns that all of us can sing. You may prefer country music. Another guy may prefer heavy metal. We pick a tune that emphasizes the words that it, we're able to sing. There are hymns in our hymnal that maybe our congregation can't sing, so we agree. After pastors picked them once and we kind of butcher. We say, ah, we won't sing that one again. But when we have the I am your servant attitude, we have peace with each other. We're willing to forgive. We're willing to agree on certain things, even though it may not be what I want the most. Peace. We're told a result of that next. And so the God of love and peace will be among you. First, the God of love and peace has come to you and given you his love, given you his peace, given you his grace. And then when we shine that grace among each other, the unity that we have within the Trinity, with each other, God turns around and says, and I will bless that peace all the more. Now he gives an example of that then. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. This is one of the ways the Christians showed love and peace and God's love towards each other in the early days of the New Testament church. Now, we live in Wyoming, so on the way out, if one of you guys comes up to me and tries to give me a big, wet smoochie, I'm going to say, whoa, this is Wyoming, personal space, personal space. But we don't have to greet each other with the holy kiss. What he's saying here is, show your love to each other. And in the early days of the New Testament church, this is how it worked. You and I are to show our love for each other. You've heard the saying, actions speak louder than words. So if we claim to be a loving church and every one of us just shuffles right into the church before the service, doesn't talk to anybody, just completely minds our own business, the church is dismissed and we all shuffle out, are we going to know that we love each other? Are we going to know that we care for each other, that we're concerned when one of us is sick, when one of us is suffering? We show each other love. Now, some churches, the way they choose to do this, and, and it's, uh, is after the confession absolution of sin, they turn to each other and say, God's peace be with you. We don't have to formally make it happen. We do this as we talk in fellowship after worship. We do this when one of us is sick and suffering when we visit them. So yes, we're empowered to show the fellowship you have with the Trinity that unites you within your brothers and sisters in Christ, the invisible church, and you show that love. And one of the examples that comes from that, which is going to wrap up our sermon, is verse 13. All the saints greet you. All the brothers and sisters in Christ in the congregations throughout the world at that time send their greetings. And you and I have joined together with a synod. We've joined with other churches that agree this is what the Word of God says, therefore we believe it. That's the Wisconsin Synod, our sister synod, the ELS, and some of our many other synods that we are brothers and sisters in Christ with throughout the world, like the Evangelical Lutheran Kirche in Germany and, and, and in Africa. But we join together and we end up sending out missionaries. We do home missions and world missions and we greet each other, recognizing each other in the unity we have.
Brothers and sisters in Christ, our God is a triune God. The concept is there in Scripture. That's a comfort for you because the Son isn't going to turn around and say, "Ah, I don't want my my blood to go on you. The Father isn't going to turn around and say, yeah, I loved you, but I'm going to stop loving you. The Holy Spirit isn't going to turn around and say, I'm going to leave your heart. We can reject it. That's the one thing we can do. But it's a comfort to know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working in harmony with each other to bring you to and keep you in your salvation. So we have unity from and within the Trinity. Unity that comes from the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working to bring you to and keep you in your faith. Unity that comes within the Trinity. So you and I show the love of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit among each other. And it actually blesses us with the further unity so that right here at Lord of Lords Lutheran Church, we can look at each other and say, I am your servant. You are my brother. You are my sister. Thanks be to Christ. Amen. And now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.